0: Instagram investigators and peeping toms. Neatly pack away your dignity. Peep a Versace hemline from the shrubbery. And I swear I have an invitation. I'm her first husband. Her first husband! Because it's time to leave Brittany alone and talk
1: tall to me. <laughs> Uh, that's what i spent my morning doing, is finding that clip and cutting that's it out. Right. Thank you for doing that. I'd never seen the full video. It's it's a lot.
0: Welcome back. I am Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. Together, we are Feckless Moans. And this is Talk Told to Me. An exclusive private event in the home of Prog Rock in which no entry without a ticket, Nick, and only if you're on the guest list, Omen, will diligently protect the privacy of every single track that hermetic rock band Jethro Tull has ever released. Track by track, and album by album, we will protect David Pegg from the paparazzi, we will catch a cake catapulted at John Craney, and we will block the billions of bellicose billets from bouncing toward Martin Barr. And, if we're lucky, we can— uh, Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir, we know you're not a bird watcher. Can you please stand back from that fence? Okay, yes, that's right, walk away, walk away. This is a private residence. Psh, we are clear for the fute Uh Release the Scotsman. Release the Scotsman. Over.
1: Very good. As usual, Omen. You, you,
0: you exceed my
1: expectations. And you have kept your expectations lower than a limbo bar. Exactly. Most likely because my expectations are little to none. That's, I'm just always delighted
0: and surprised. That's all. Thank you. Well, welcome yeah. back, Nick, and welcome back, all listeners, to this episode of Talk Tall to Me. An exciting day. We get to talk about another song by Jethro Tull. That's right. I don't know if, if if your our listeners' finely
1: tuned ears are noticing. Omen is on a different microphone. Omen, why are you in a different recording situation right now?
0: Well, you see, Nick, when, when Bizet wrote the opera Carmen in the mm-hmm. late 1880s, Go he... On he shocked the the nation and, frankly, the world by Mm -hmm. rather than having all of the plot be conveyed through song and recitative, he included actual dialogue. Mind-blowing. And the Santa Fe Opera had a difficult time sourcing an actor who could speak in French. So here I am, playing the role of Lilis Pastia in Carmen by Bizet at the Santa Fe Opera. That character name, it...
1: It translates to littlest pasta right the littlest that pasta that's right yes yeah. yeah it's yeah.
0: a gangster name it's a it's a terrifying person
1: yeah 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 so so to be clear omen went from florida to santa fe new mexico mm-hmm. to portray a character in carmen that mm-hmm. has three lines in french And that's fine. It's, that's dedication. It's a great experience. That's that's awesome. But that is why Omen is is in a little bit of a different recording
0: setup. That's right. And uh, we have this fabulous new portable mic, which uh, so far seems to be really doing its job. And, uh, and I've traded a wet heat for a dry heat. And you'll be there for a couple of months, yeah? Yeah, I so think? get used yeah. to it.
1: Get used to it. And just by the time you're finally used to it, you will... Have to get used to him being back in Florida. It's a lot like this album. By the time you're used to Broadsword and the Beast, it's done. It's over.
0: We're moving on. Yeah. It's done. Speaking of this album, Nick, what is the song about which we are talking tall this very day? We are talking tall about
1: track number eight, the third track off of Side B. It is Watching
0: Me, Watching You. Now, Nick, before we listen to this track, I just want to acknowledge the fact that this song talks about stalking. And we here at the Feckless Moans just want to say out loud that stalking is a crime and a very disturbing action that makes people very uncomfortable and can ruin lives. We don't condone stalking of any kind. Our appreciation for Jethro Tull is done at a respectful distance, and we encourage yours to be done in the same way.
1: Yeah. Stalking is,
0: is it's just not cool, guys. Come on. It's not cool. It's not cool. And actually, you know, even though celebrities are the, are the ones who get attention, you know, in cases of stalking, it actually happens. There are 300,000 men are stacked or stalked annually. More than a million women each year experience stalking, which, which means that about one in every 12 women in their lifetime will experience stalking. Uh, so it's not a, not, a, not a great thing. Exceptionally not cool. And now with that out of the <laughs> way, let's talk about this song. Let's listen to it first, and then we'll talk about it. Sounds good. (laughs) ¶¶ Was watching me watching you. It certainly was. How many minutes long is that song, Nick
1: McGill? That song is three minutes and about 40
0: seconds long. Wow. Can I just speak something? I I wish you would. (laughs) I know it's unusual on this (laughs) this podcast. The synth, the synthgasm of this song is really what is, what has hit me in the face. I mean, that is... That is
1: really the, the main context and, and body of this song.
0: It is, it's incredibly hypnotizing almost.
1: It's very repetitive. It's a bit busy and repetitive and, and easy to kind of be washed over by. You know, you, you can get kind of- Interesting. You can lose yourself into it if you really let it go. In a nice way.
0: I mean, not
1: necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be lost in a synth, Nick? I mean, I've I've listened to this song more times than I really ever wanted to listen to it at this point, so...
0: Am I getting the impression, Nick McGill, that this is a song uh, about which you're not overly fond? I am not overly fond of this song. Great. I respect your opinion, and... Do you you really like it? We will never discuss any of that again.
1: (laughs) We will discuss it for the next about 45 minutes, and then
0: we will never discuss it. And then only 10 more times. Ever again. yeah. I is this my favorite song off the album? Certainly not. Right. But I think that this is a a really unusual and and valuable song for a number of reasons. Okay. The thing that I particularly like about it is actually the musical construction. Go on. And the thing that is that is fun about it is that we, you know, we start off with this extremely 80s-sounding arpeggiated synth. that we then add another synth to <fielder> doing a separate arpeggio. And so we already have that sort of sense of two overlapping, slightly disconnected, but, but related rhythmic processes. And that first arpeggio that digga, 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 mm-hmm. that runs throughout the entire song. It sure does. I I, I am so glad that Peter John Bates had his hand cut off by Darth Vader and replaced with a robot hand. Because otherwise, I don't think he would be able to play this. You're, you're saying no human could play this? I'm saying that Ian Anderson is his father. Oh.
1: <laughs> Instead of the Darth Vader breathing, it's, uh, it's just flutes.
0: It's flute. It's flute Tweet shirling. Tweet. 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 Flute Vader.
1: PJV, I am your daddy.
0: <laughs> no, I mean it, it's really incredible, and and it it is so precise that it does make me wonder. You know, was it a? At first, I was wondering. You know, is it something where he he plays that twice and then loops it with a pedal? Mm, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. It could be, but then it actually changes. It changes form several yeah. times. It changes with the chords, and it changes. You know, in the in the bridge. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to it's hard to know. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine how you would automate that. Right. But at the same time, it's hard to imagine how you would play that. I think what yeah. would be really interesting is to hear a live version of this.
1: Sure. Sure. It is It is certainly a great track showing off PJV. Mm-hmm. I, I do not in any way want to, to slander him. Like, it's very talented. It's just not a sound that I'm terribly fond of. It is reminiscent of, like, like when you would see... 80s movies with like Tron. The, that's exactly what I was going for. 80s movies with like the worst CG ever, showing like circuit boards and like yes. like synapses firing. It's a super computery sound.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. But but done in a necessarily manual way because mm-hmm. because that's you know that's what was available. I could even
1: particularly when it, we get into like the bass sound. Oh, uh huh. Mm-hmm. I could even imagine this coming out of like a Super Nintendo almost.
0: Yes, I, absolutely.
1: Just like super primitive sound, yeah.
0: I took a note that the bass sounds more digital than it has in the past, and I don't think that's because of any effect. I think that that's just because David Pegg is is amazing and can kind of adapt himself to that style. I'm honestly almost
1: inclined to think that that's a synth bass and and David Peg is not on this song.
0: Had the day off, or or at least drowned out. I think that it is. I think that it is the bass. Yeah, and it could be doubled. I think there may. I think there may be the depths of the synth maybe deeper than we realize. Mm-hmm. And so I will leave the door open for that possibility. But I I, I also do think that Peggy is plucking.
1: Yeah, but that that initial like funky bass is like you said. It's so darn digital. I'm. I, I find it very hard to believe. I would love to see like. I would love to see someone replicate that sound on a bass to see if it's like possible or not,
0: you know? That's why I'd love to see this live. Let's see. Is it
1: on YouTube? Is there a live performance? There might be. Let's just have a quick look. So while you are looking up to see if it's even there, I can confirm that this has been played in concert 56 times Hmm. between April 1st, 1982 and... That was 52 times. That's it. That year in 1982. And then only four times in 86. And that's it.
0: That doesn't surprise me terribly. No. I mean, it, it sounds like they were, you know, playing this song on the tour to promote this album. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it didn't it didn't get included in the later lineup of, you know, of, of standards. Yeah,
1: like they, they kind of threw it back in to, to test the waters in 86, but clearly it, it didn't jive with anybody because they'd only got four
0: plays. Right. So I, I did actually just send you a YouTube video. I'm going to check it out real quick if you don't mind. <laughs> well, that is fascinating. I watched a little bit of it, and all I saw was strobes, so it was difficult yeah. to follow. So I, th- this is a, a live performance of watching me watching you from Italy in 1982. I seriously suggest you check it out, unless you are prone to light-induced seizures, in which case I don't recommend that at all. But what's fascinating about the, the music element of this is that the synth and the guitar are picking up some of the elements that in the in the recording are done by the flute. Mm, well, he's running around Well, he's running singing, around performing yeah. this kind of this chase with these white white coat clad people on the stage. It's so funny. There's actually there's even a like a handheld light that gets carried past is sort of it to represent the train at some point. It's so funny.
1: Oh, so bizarre.
0: Wonderful. But the synth sounds pretty much the same and the bass sounds the same. Mm. OK. So okay. whatever they were able to do in the studio, they were able to replicate live, which is absolutely mind blowing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And of course, always in the studio, you're able to layer tracks and you're able to to doctor sounds a little bit. So you're never quite going to get the same experience live. But that's the beauty of live, in a sense, is that you, you it's more organic and it feels more more present
0: those limitations maybe spur even more creativity exactly one thing that i was missing from the album cut is is martin Barr. he comes in at a at, after about a minute
1: it takes him about a minute before he chimes in and then it's really just stingy I'm
0: pulling my phone from the wall. yeah whereas i think that in the live version at least in that on that night you know or during that tour the the he was taking a little bit more of a role and stepping a little bit more forward, probably because the flute wasn't being used. And also my thought is
1: that PJV can only play so much. You know, he's he's clearly in this track, in the studio track, he's layered. He's got multiple things going at, at a time. He can only do one of those on stage.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's only got two hands.
1: He and his predecessor, are both known for playing back-to-back keyboards, so I mean, it's possible that they they did maybe just two right in front of him, or or one on the ceiling, one with his toes.
0: Who knows? Oh, I, I never right. saw he him. Forgot play. about his feet. His feet. But that's why that's why I do think David Pegg is is really playing the bass. Yeah, because otherwise, I don't I don't see how you would get that sound in there. Mm-hmm. It is in four four time. Okay. However, the arpeggios are in triplets. Okay. Which gives that kind of. Feeling of being a little bit off kilter somehow. Sure, sure. Because the the beat is going one two three four, but the synth is going one two three 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 one two three, which
1: can. Be reminiscent of the the train Absolutely. that he's talking about. Could also just put you off, like feeling like, ooh, I, I, I'm a little uncomfortable, and I don't know why. Is it because mm-hmm. because of the 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 time signature, or is it because somebody's watching me?
0: Yeah, it, yeah, I think it lends itself to that feeling of disease, mm-hmm. unease, disease, disease. Yeah, Nick, let's talk about the the chorus coming in with stairs. stairs.
1: Yep, that's the next thing in my notes, Ian's Ian's low register speak singing. <laughs> I think it might be more voices than his. I think it is. I think it's a couple more, yeah. But he, he his feels a bit more prominent than the others.
0: Did you, when you listened to the song before, in the before times, before the era of Talk Tells Me, B-T-T-T-M.
1: I'd like to buy B-T-T-T-M. a vowel.
0: <laughs> We need to. Did you did you hear the word stairs and 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 understand it, or did you have a was there a velvet mondegreen there?
1: I thought it was the homonym stairs, like like walking like stairs. Yeah, yeah. What did you hear?
0: I don't know. I I may have heard stairs as in a staircase.
1: Yeah, I mean it doesn't really work in the context of the of the song.
0: Escalator Esca- escalates. <laughs> I mean, it could as well be trains. Yeah. Well, I mean, not actually in the context of the song, but how about the? Here we have another another song which is maybe not necessarily on the topic of trains, but in which trains play a major role and character. Mm-hmm. This is. I
1: would. I would put this in the in the the, the subcategory of trains. Absolutely. Yes.
0: Yeah. Cross-reference C trains.
1: Trains. Yeah. It's. It's not it doesn't make or break the song to be in a train station. You know, I think it's much more effective that cheap day return is at a train station, but, but it does, it does add to the feeling of this being because we know Ian is so partial to, to trains and train stations, to train travel, travel, that, that it, when he puts something in the context of a train, that's kind of your signal. That's like, Oh, this is a personal thing for Ian.
0: That's a really, really interesting point. Yeah, I I think that's spot on, and I want to talk more about that in the second half of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Before we get there, anything else uh, musically? No, no, I don't think
1: so. I mean, it's just I, I think we covered the-, the bulk of it. It's
0: yeah. There's just one little thing that one little detail that I enjoy, which is that the the flute uh, several measures in does that. It kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of like a news sting, you know. It's like yep. the news at seven. Da, da, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. Yep, I, I definitely caught that. And then in the in the live version, that PJV plays that on the on the synth. Okay, sure. Kind of a fun little detail. Nick, hello, welcome to
1: our tea time break. Here we are, tea for everyone. We are halfway through. It's time to do a little, uh, little housekeeping, a little cleaning up here. That's right. I think we will start ourselves with a uh, something we haven't had in a while. It's been a little, little slow for the review side of things, but we have ourselves a review. Of us? Of us.
0: Sir, sensors have detected another star in the sky.
1: Dear Lord, that's five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. From a good writer, Eldest Poutier. Huh. It was by Eldest Poutier. And Wonderful. they write in and say, Talk tall to me. Like Jethro Tall itself is an acquired taste. Hmm. Even Tall fans might think, mm, I don't know. But believe me, stick with it. Nick and Omen are sometimes ignorant, often silly, but always passionate about the music of Jethro Tull. Having made it through 14 albums with them, I can confidently write that they are certainly not feckless and not even very moamy. Most importantly, though, they're not boring. If you even like some Jethro Tull songs, this is a must listen.
0: That is a very kind review. and Very sweet. I would like to have often ignorant, sometimes silly, but always passionate on my gravestone oh it's perfect yeah that's that's great i mean
1: done it it is it is a goal to work for thank you so much for for surmising what omen and i stand for so perfectly Eldis.
0: and thank you for taking the time to write into us you know in the form of reviewing us and our podcast
1: we will cover a uh an email that Eldis wrote in a little further down the road but uh we're we're starting with with his review stay tuned Eldis and everyone
0: else Speaking of reviews, Nick.
1: Yes, it's that
0: time. How come you know better than me that this is not love? This is not love. This has become something of a tradition on mm-hmm. the Talk to Me podcast. We enjoy, when possible, to provide you not only what we think of the albums, but also what other people think and most specifically what Rolling Stone magazine thinks.
1: Yeah, they they were at least when Tull started they were kind of the go-to person for reviews. So I, I think it's I think it's even though maybe by this point and certainly now by by present day they're not necessarily like like who cares about a Rolling Stone review? Maybe some people sure. do. But I think it's fun to see the the continuity through the years if they even
0: review them. Taste makers. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Before we get that, though, I want to do a little amuse-bouche of another review from Kerrang. Kerrang. This is something that you pulled from a a tall magazine. Yep, The article stated, Kerrang! Review was ambiguous, calling the album tracks, quote, emotional pieces of composition, depending on how much attention you are prepared to give, unquote. But overall stated that, quote, if you are a fan, buy it. It may have some pleasant surprises. If, like me, you're not, borrow it from someone who is. You might be surprised too, end quote. Nowadays, that's like, listen to it
1: on Spotify first. Just just test it out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess, yeah, what, what, I guess that's, yeah, I guess that's the, the equivalent. I was thinking, don't turn it off if someone else puts it on, but don't put it on yourself. <laughs> no, no, just don't buy it. Don't, don't commit to it yet. Right. That's all. Well, anyway, here we have the the main event. We have the Rolling Stone review written, submitted to press on June tenth, nineteen eighty two, at four a.m. Classic, Eastern Time, no doubt. Stephen Peacock by Park Puterbaugh. Ooh, la di da. who gave the album overall a whopping two stars out of five. Okay. He writes, Leave it to Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull to anoint the 80s with a concept album about the erosion of old values in today's rapidly devolving world. (laughs) You think it's devolving then? (laughs) Wait wait a couple decades.
1: Wait, Wait 40 years.
0: Anderson observes the entropy of spirit that's got individuals and nations in its icy grip. And with a noble tilt of his head... He unsheathes his Excalibur and stalks off to slay the beast that visits this plague upon the motherland. Though it's hard to believe this is happening in 1982, there is something comfortingly antiquarian about The Broadsword and the Beast. Anderson often embellishes his morality plays with entrancingly lyrical, flawlessly executed ensemble passages. And Clasp, and Flying Colors in particular, have a restless brooding grace about them. At the same time, there's something disarming going on. The alienation and foreboding of Peter John Vitesse's synthesizer, combined with the heavy-handedness of many of Anderson's lyrics, seems at odd with Jethro Tull's more lysome English folk leanings. Vitesse plays very much in the style of his predecessor, Eddie Jobson, mm-hmm. sketching a frenetic desolation that mirrors the coldness with which Anderson apparently views the modern world. There's nothing wrong with living in the past, perhaps. Indeed, Ian Anderson can make the wisdom of the ages seem preferable to the rootless philandering of the present day. But on the broadsword and the beast, the real beast may be Anderson's penchant for ponderous sermonizing. Nick, okay. Hmm. Here's what confuses me about this review. If you read it, up until the last paragraph, I would say it's pretty interesting and positive. It's moderate at least.
1: It certainly doesn't set you up for like oh this guy hated this.
0: No, but then he only gave it 2 stars out of 5. Yeah. And and it seems like the main issue that he takes is with the lyrics rather than the music. Yeah. You know, he calls it comforting. I mean, he, he also praises the the philosophical approach of the album, which is to say, you know, let's let's kind of remember the the value of the old ways in the, you know this this d this, what do you say? Devolving timeline that we're in right now. I would be very
1: curious to see what this particular writer reviewer rated as five stars, if if ever. You know, like what's what's the where's the standard for for this this reviewer?
0: Yeah, or what's the taste? That's a really interesting question. Yeah. Well. Did any of it stick out to you particularly?
1: That PJV is kind of following in the footsteps of Eddie Jobson, very much so. I agree. I very much agree. Yeah.
0: I yeah, that's an interesting thing. I I agree and also disagree. Well, I
1: I certainly think that that Eddie Eddie carved out a very specific place for himself. Intentionally or not, maybe it was it was just the way that that Eddie works and the way it worked together with how Ian saw the band going, maybe or or at least saw the solo album going. Right. And and PJV saw what Eddie did and played the
0: same role in the
1: band. Yeah, he stepped into an Eddie shaped hole and fit very well, you know?
0: Uh-huh. A-, a hole caused perhaps by Eddie's Sharp nose, just when cut, it hit the pavement, cut through the firmament of Tull. It splits the earth in twain. <laughs> Hades himself said, "Who turned on the lights?" And then, uh, and then,
1: Peter John stood over it and and filled it right up.
0: Yeah, with his with his massive shade.
1: I think I think I would give this album
0: three stars. I think I would give this review two and a half stars. Oh no, I, I think I think the review itself gets two stars. I'm okay with that. I like how it's written. Park Puzerbow wrote a biography for. Can you guess the band? Yes, you can. It's Fish. Uh. <laughs> that explains so much. Yeah, and a review of his book says he wrote a review of his book. No, someone oh, else's okay. review of Please. his book says of of P- of Park Peterbau. He obviously loves the band, and that's fine, but in the personal interviews with musicians, he comes across more as a sycophant than a professional journalist. Ooh, <laughs> so burn, there's, Peter! <laughs> there's, two, there's two sides to every review. Every There's two sides to every review. Everybody's a critic, and everybody's you know, a kiss-ass. Yeah. <laughs> careful throwing stones, lest you hit yourself in the back of the head. That's
1: That review of his book, just like, just was the the icing on the cake, was the bow. That was, that made it,
0: yeah, it was very good, very good. Well, Nick, I've almost finished with this cup of tea. What do you have else to chat about in this tea time break?
1: We're going to do one more thing. We're going to read an email. Your emails, sir. From previous writer inner, Jimmy James. Jimmy Jim. Jimmy Jim. JJ. JJ Jim. writes in. This came in about a week ago. This came in on June 1st. And the subject is fallen on better times. <laughs> and this is actually topical. How optimistic. It, it is based on what's in here. It's uh, Dear Mom's Fanfare of Trumpets. I've finally digested <laughs> all of your back catalog and I'm now up to date. Wow. You've done such a great service to Tull fans by shining a light on their amazing canon of work. Bravo, Omen and Nick, you're not half as feckless as you make out. I just wanted to share some news from Down Under, prompted by yesterday's Fallen on Hard Times episode. Mm. You commented on how prophetic Ian's lyrics often are. I chuckled at Cassandra Ian in his frock. It has proven to be true down here, in particular, the second bridge of Fallen on Hard Times— Somebody wake me, I've been sleeping too long. I don't have to take this lying down. You can keep your promises, shove them where they belong. Don't ask me to the party, won't be around. Without getting too political, uh-huh. last weekend, after 10 years of a famously right wing, climate denying, coal friendly, Murdoch moneyed government, Australia elected six independent women into parliament running on the issue of climate change.
0: That's my favorite kind of woman.
1: That's that I want all of those women in my life. These women, in effect, now hold the balance of power in government. Wow. It was such an inspirational rebirth of the power of democracy. Don't ask me to the party indeed. Belonging to no party, they bypassed the political bunfight Ian is on about, a bunfight Australians had clearly had enough of. Our new government, the most racially and gender diverse in our history, relies on the support of these six amazing women who have taken a broadsword to a pretty fearsome beast. Hmm. All hail Cassandra, all hail Australia, feared we'd lost you forever, but hope springs eternal. Keep going, MoMs to .com and beyond. Cheers, Jimmy James.
0: Oh, that's so lovely to hear. Thank you so much for writing in with, with that positivity and that hope and you know, I think that it's really easy to just assume that the future is going to be bad, but that assumption actually affects your actions. And so sometimes it's really important to just say, you know what? The future has not happened yet. And like Lawrence of Arabia said, it is not written until I write it. And by I, I mean those six independent climate women. Like like Peter,
1: Peter Brogg. Said, it is not re- reviewed until I review until it. Until I
0: review it. <laughs> I also love the term bun fight. Yeah, that's got to be an Australian thing. I've never heard that before. It must be like a pie. Like I'm thinking of like in the old movies where they would throw pies at each other. Oh, it's a, a tea party or other function typically of a
1: grand or official kind or a heated argument or exchange.
0: Huh, fascinating. Yeah, that's great. Great. Thank you so much for writing in. Thank you, Jimmy James. very very grateful and I don't know did we actually talk about this but the line I don't ask me to the party I won't be around that that actually has a really political connotation like don't ask me to join your party. I feel like we didn't actually mention that Yeah, I don't think we hit on it but it's so obvious yeah know, once you put it into that context yeah well Nick, I have officially finished my tea I've uh, I've just finished steeping mine. I'm gonna go take a bath in it. please do. The tannins are excellent for your skin. Just pucker me right up. And now, back to our regularly scheduled content. Welcome back, Nick. I hope that your cup of tea was as delicious as mine was. And I hope that your cup of tea, listeners, was spectacular. I hope
1: so. I I genuinely hope so. Mine mine was delightful. Thank you for asking.
0: So here we are on the the downhill side of the podcast. We've crested the we've crested the nave, if you will, and we're uh, it's all downhill from here. So so let's talk about the the topic of this song watching me watching you. Nick, what is this song largely about? Obviously we kind of hinted at it at the beginning of the episode, but break it down for us. So it's
1: it's largely if not only
0: about, uh, about a, a stalker, right? Yeah, I would put this into the category of Ian Anderson personal experiences rendered into song. Yeah, cross-reference C-trains. C trains, C trains, yeah,
1: like sub sub subcategory trains.
0: But I would put this, yes, exactly. But I would put this into the same folder as Small Cigar.
1: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 personal and it's very
0: microcosmic. Uh, Excellently said. Yeah. Whereas in Small Cigar, Ian is describing society and feeling on the outside of it. Here, he's describing his own place in society and observing someone else who is even more outside of it than he is. You know, typically what we get from Ian is like, oh yeah, here's society and here's me on the outside. But here we have him talking about somebody who's Further outside than him and that person's relationship to him.
1: Yeah, it's he's he's not an innocent bystander and viewer. He's not the watcher here. Like this is a this is He's the watch. This is an active
0: experience, yeah. Which is really interesting because I think a lot of times he is the watcher. You know, I I mean uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and he sets himself up like that in this song. I sit by the cutting on the Bakersfield line. He's watching me, watching the trains go by. Party. So Ian has set himself up in this in his spot, probably waiting for a transfer. Beaconsfield is is a town to the west of England, so it's probably a good transfer point for trains to go either further west or slightly northwest or southwest. And he's observing the world. And he does that a lot. You know, a lot of his songs are saying, you know, are about his experience of observing the world. Mm -hmm. I think that this song is fun because it plays with the line between observing and observing with malintent. Mm. Observing neutrally and observing with some kind of evilness.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Or or, or intent, I guess. Right. Do you reckon that, and I I know there's a a ton still present day, like we discussed in the, the, the early portion of the show, But was there a was there a a different degree of stalking, probably more particularly celebrity stalking in this this age of of the of the 80s and, and the like, because you couldn't follow every single person's move on Instagram and TMZ and all of that, you know, like you had to go out of your way. If you were so very obsessed with someone, you had to follow them as opposed to like Facebook follow them, you know, or Instagram follow.
0: Yeah. So I read a little article about stalking. Mm. And it seems like it goes way back.
1: Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah.
0: And it and it cites a couple of different types of stalking. It talks about the resentful stalker. Mm. You know, someone who has a chip on their shoulder, has has some kind of complaint connected to the to the object of their stalking. And, you know, maybe maybe felt insulted or hurt by that person and sort of are living this fantasy of taking revenge. Right, right. But never actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it seems like a lot of stalking is is really about inducing fear. You know, it's... Yeah. You know, it's, it's leaving the box of candies on the doorstep just so that that person knows that you know where they live. Yeah. And then there's the intimacy-seeking stalker who believes that they either deserve a relationship with that person or have a relationship with that person that's the one that often is focused oh, yeah. on, on people of uh, of status in society you know in celebrities mm-hmm. and that is most that's really often connected with people who are who have delusions or or are otherwise mentally ill right right and then there's the incompetent stalker the person who just simply mm. doesn't understand social mores and rules right and doesn't understand the boundaries and then of course there's the the, the predator which is someone who basically is is sexually attracted to their victim and uses stalking as a way to get close with them and, and that's that's you know one of the really, really dangerous ones. Yeah. So I would say that this is what it sounds like Ian is describing as some kind of intimacy seeking stalker.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so.
0: He he, he sees this guy
1: it's, it's not just some creeper at the train station who sees Ian Anderson and is like, oh my gosh, that's Ian Anderson. And then it's done. You know, they go their separate mm-hmm. ways. He sees this guy at a party. He sees him in in all sorts of different places. And and that's how you know. That's, that's red flag right there.
0: Well, and it sounds like there's also, I mean, even in the title and that repeated phrase, he's watching me watching you. Yeah. That there's that, there's something about the way he's being observed. It's not just like, from a distance, oh my god, I think that's Ian Anderson. How cool, right? Or even, oh my god, I'm starstruck. Look, oh my god, Tee-hee-hee, it's Ian it's, Anderson. It's that rock star. Even if you freak out a
1: little bit, there, that's one thing. But it's it is that next step.
0: But I think it's that sustained gaze, mm. which <laughs> which the music, which that repetitive feeling of the music, which which kind of put you off, yeah, articulates so well. It's that kind of yeah. like laser focused you know this is the only object that it matters in my in my world. You get that sense, you know, I, I I always talk about New York City because it's such a a wonderful petri dish of humanity. And you know, very occasionally or I should say rather frequently you run into people who have varying degrees of mental illness. And you can tell. You can tell when someone's off. You can tell by the way that they're looking at people. Yeah. You can tell by the way that they approach the space and the way that they orient their body. You know, if you it's one thing to glance over and you know, try to figure out somebody or look at their outfit or, you know, be curious about them. And we're all curious. It's another to face your body completely toward them and stare (laughs) motionless. You know, that's like what a, that's like what a cat does when it's hunting a bird.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, you're, we're, we're dancing the fine line of mental health and uh, just, just not being, not being socially aware you know, it could be any number of these, but it's, it's kind of, th- those are where you start with in diagnosis and then, and then look at the further, the, yeah. the further signs.
0: And, and regardless of the cause of it, the effect on the singer of this song is the way he stares, feel like locking my doors and pulling my phone from the wall. Mm-hmm. His eyes like lights from a laser burn, making my hair stand, making the goosebumps crawl. The way he stares. That's a great description of, of that feeling. Mm-hmm. Do you think that
1: this is, as we're going from his experience on uh, at, at Beaconsfield Station to this party at the cocktail party yeah. with a Buck's fizz in my hand, is it the same person or could it just be that like, maybe, maybe it's not a straight up stalker story. Maybe it's just how people. Maybe Ian has attained a level of celebrity where this is a fairly common thing, where people just kind of stare. They don't want to approach. They're fascinated by him.
0: That's a really interesting take on this song. And I think that this song does perhaps leave space for that kind of interpretation. Yeah. But I, I get the sense that it is a recurring character.
1: Yeah, the hymn... The hymn. He... The hymn feels like it should be like a proper noun almost, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it, but it's not. So it does leave that. I had never thought about that interpretation until just now. I do kind of like it that way, but it, it does feel more like this guy is, is like
0: taking. Yeah. Then this song kind of almost becomes more about the paranoia of the or the social anxiety of the singer, which is an interesting take on it and not mm. necessarily, you know, totally out of. Out of character, perhaps, for Ian's writing. Yeah. But I, I do think that based on the text, it it I for me it leans more closely toward this recurring character individual. It's almost like you know, it's almost like a, like an aqualung character.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not so far downtrodden that
0: Yeah, and a lot more focused.
1: Yeah. Yeah, not, not the bottom of the, the road where you can't get into a party. Like, he, he successfully got into a party. Right, right, right. And he, he close, he and, and he moves up close, but he doesn't speak. I have to look the other way.
0: I mean, and that is really creepy. Like, if you see someone watching you at a train station, and then they show up at a party that you're at. Especially if you clock them at at the train station for being a creeper in the first
1: place. Exactly, exactly. Nick, what is a Buck's Fizz? I am glad you asked. I had to look that up. A Buck's Fizz is a cocktail that is two parts sparkling wine, typically champagne. People are using Prosecco now. It's the thing. Mm -hmm. And one part orange juice.
0: Now, isn't that a mimosa?
1: That's also a very good question. Mimosa is equal parts champagne and orange
0: juice. Ah, so mm. a bucks fizz is a a more it is more champagne to to orange juice ratio. Yes, right. Sounds it's delicious. Just,
1: it's just I want I want champagne but I don't want to taste the champagne, so let's splash some OJ in there. And champagne's pretty sweet as it is, so it really it, it works really well with the orange.
0: It's, I want champagne, but I also want to avoid scurvy.
1: Exactly. You know, if if you can multitask while getting drunk, I mean, what better way to do it?
0: Hey, you know, time is time is a precious thing. <laughs> I want to zoom in on this one line. At the cocktail party with a Bucks Fizz in my hand, I feel him watching me watching the girls go by. At the cocktail party with the Bucks Fizz. So there's this, what's fascinating for me about this song is that, and going back, we talked about this a little bit, but like Ian usually is in the role of the observer. Yeah. And I wonder if to a certain extent, this is an exploration of, of, of wondering what it's like to be on the other side of that coin, you know, and even wondering to himself, like, oh my God, is this. Is this how people feel when Ooh. I'm when I'm crowd watching and like researching my songs and like having these moments and watching watching the girls go by at the party? Am I am I that creeper? I like that. And I think the answer is no, because <laughs> you're not following individuals from right. from Beaconsfield all the way to wherever Chelsea, where the
1: party probably is. I, I do like that aspect of, of it not just being for lack of a better term, like a complaint song, you know, like oh boy, this creeper. It's like he he does he is taking he's at least trying to take a lesson from it, trying to learn something from it, even if he's not to that extreme. Like maybe maybe there's something he can he can something that can grow out of
0: this. That's always something I worry about because I I mean I I'm just such a naturally curious person. By curious, mm. no, by certain, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> best buy. <laughs> Sell by um, I lost my train. I lost my train of thought. I, I'm a curious person, and so I I love to watch people in public. You know, I love to you know check out what people are wearing and what people are talking about. You know, I'm a curious bitch, and 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 I also have that like, oh my god, am I making this person feel uncomfortable? Like, let me let me make sure that I not look at them as much as possible. You know, I it's it's a constant battle. Yeah,
1: but I I think there's that there's that internal conscience there's that that filter there that is preventing you from just straight up laser beaming someone
0: yeah you know well and you see and it's interesting that we're talking about curiosity you know the line but curiosity gets the better part of me i peek mm. got two drinks in his hand i see his lips move what the hell is he trying to say curiosity gets the better part of me. It feels like it's throwing the the writer into this place of doubt about about the world, doubt about his safety, doubt about his own potential actions, you know, even his identity as a watcher. Yeah, and it's, it's so interesting. I, I just I, I I know it's not maybe the most boppy song to listen to, but I think it's fascinating, and it sort of is like an M. C. Escher piece where it keeps folding sure. in on itself with layers of meaning.
1: Yeah, with all of the the repetitive watching me, watching you, watching him. That's my favorite portion. My favorite line is I'm watching you watching him watching me watching.
0: I'm watching you watching, watching me watching.
1: Yeah, that it's that there there are so many layers. It's it's inception of watching. Yes. But on top of that, he's it's a direct address to the listener they're a part, they are so very active in this experience here. Oh, cool. You're watching, I'm watching, he's watching, we're all, it's this kind of bizarre voyeuristic circle.
0: Right, because as the listener, we are, quote unquote, watching with our yeah. ears. Ian have this experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's further complicated by the fact that for most of the verses, we have Ian singing, he's still watching me, and then the, the other voices say, watching you.
1: Hmm. Watching mm-hmm.
0: and then Ian goes watching the trains go by. So we almost have that like a like a proto voiced character in this song. You know, you almost get a little peek into the into this person's head who's thinking oh, like I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that
1: they they are they're so 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 straightforward driven that it's really just this kind of this mantra and that, that's leading them to do what they're doing. I like that, too. Yeah. It's dark. It's creepy. It's in the background. It's only when you pay enough attention that you notice it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Have you heard the story about Robert Pattinson's stalker? Oh, that sounds familiar. No. So he was filming a a movie in Spain, and there was a woman who would stand outside of his apartment Mm. every day for weeks and just, like, stare up at his window and in classic Robert Pattinson style, he was so bored and lonely while he was shooting this film, he asked her out to dinner. He went out to dinner with her and just complained about every single thing in his life. And she said he never saw her after that. He, disappeared.
1: <laughs> he is a treat. I enjoy him so much. He's an
0: unusual individual. Do you reckon Ian's ever been stalked? I would I mm, interesting I would say that the likelihood is yes I think that you know mm-hmm. anyone who has had his l- long career yeah absolutely I, I think it's I think it's highly likely I
1: found an article in the Gazette and Herald from the 11th of November 2014. Uh, And it goes, Jethro Tull frontman Ian Anderson, who lives at a 250-year-old country house, has been forced to take to the internet to warn off a man who fears is following him after shows. The 67-year-old rock and roll flautist, who is currently on a solo tour of Europe and the United States, has used Jethro Tull's official website to voice his concerns over the safety of himself and his wife. Wow in a personal message to the offender or offenders he says quote please don't follow me back to hotels after shows there have been a few threats of physical violence towards me in recent times and my first assumption is that someone following me in a car after a show and jumping out when i pull into a hotel is up to no good wow that you may only be a fan seeking autographs whether for yourself or mr ebay is not the issue My hotel is my sanctuary. You frighten my wife, and you put me under pressure to react to potential violence. If you were on your way home from work late at night, and you became aware of a car or two following you to your home in the dark, you would get worried and understandably probably lock your car doors and call the cops. Please don't do this. I won't be in a good mood, and I won't sign your albums, in spite of your arguments and protestations." You will get angry, call me names, and I will get even angrier than you. Not a nice way for any of us to end the
0: otherwise pleasurable evening.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: That's so unfortunate that he had to deal with that. And, you know, I suspect that that probably wasn't the first time. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm absolutely
1: sure. Probably before
0: and after. And, you know, we probably... Have a have a record of that because we had the internet and you know he yeah Ian put, a, Ian put a statement on the internet there
1: yeah and just germane to nothing at the very last paragraph just to make us enjoy Ian more earlier this year the eco minded rocker who has thirty thousand trees on his Wiltshire estate performed a fundraising gig in front of two hundred people at nearby Rotten to help the community's successful campaign to prevent the development of land at a local
0: wildlife haven King's Farm Wood wow. What I yeah. mean you know with all of the problematic people in the world it's just such a pleasure to talk about the work of of a class act
1: yes i think it's it's safe to refer to ian as a class act it's very easy to go to go to go bananas as a celebrity but he he very much not only did he keep himself really successfully down to earth he also harnessed his power for good, you know.
0: Absolutely. In in a very in a way that was a very that continues to be a very distinct and appropriate expression of his own personality. Yeah. Yeah, and I just want
1: to say I'm going to drop that article from the Gazette and Herald and the YouTube video of watching me watching you strobe extravaganza. I'm going <laughs> to drop that into the show notes if anybody's interested. Perfect.
0: Still, Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy listening to us, listen to you, listen to us, then you can write a positive review and send it to us, or you can give us a rating of five stars. That would be much appreciated. From a safe distance, please. Please. Omen, do you know what we're doing next week?
1: No idea. So we're actually going to wrap up the album proper. We're going to hit songs 9 and 10. We're going to do Seal Driver and Cheerio because Cheerio is just such a little nugget of a song. We're going to combine them. Mm. And then uh, after that, we're on to bonus tracks. It's my hopes and dreams that... Let's see. Our last bonus track gets us at the very end of August. I hope that the remaster re-release with these supposed 10 bonus tracks is out by then. If not, we'll have to stick them into the mix somewhere else. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, seven bonus tracks before we even get to the, the proposed new ones. But next week, Seal Driver and Cheerio. Until that time, until next week, I'm eyes like lights from a laser, Nick McGill.
0: I am one part orange juice to two parts champagne, Omen Thomas said. We are a thin crowd, the feckless moms. And they move so fast, boy, they really fly. This is Talk Tall to (laughs) Me. Uh, hey everybody, this is Omen, and uh, we just wanted to you know take this opportunity here at the end of the show to to give out a couple of resources if you are experiencing stalking or if you know anyone who is the victim of stalking.
1: That's right. We've got uh, we've got resources for for here in the states and uh, across the pond. If you are in the United States, you can head on over to victimconnect.org. And uh, they have a resource there for stalking. They, you can call or text the phone number. they got an online chat. We've got all sorts of stuff there. And of course, as they say at the very top of the site here, if you are in
0: immediate danger, obviously you call 911. That's right. For the UK, there is supportline.org.uk. It has, a, it has resources for a whole host of difficulties, everything from alcohol to anxiety all the way down to trauma and terminal illness support. It's got a lot of great resources and just, you know, keep in mind that stalking in all 50 states and in England is a crime and can be dealt with appropriately. That was supportline.org.uk And mine was victimconnect.org We'll throw those in the show notes and until next time remember that Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Mooms audio network. Did I say audio weird? You said audio. And remember that Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Mooms audio network. Perfect. That's great. Perfect. Perfect.